You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. So it's my pleasure to wish you all a very happy new year. From Clinton Township, to Orion, to Troy, to Birmingham, Clarkston, Traverse City, and perhaps some of you that are pretty much every week our online congregation. So I just want to wish you a happy new year as we look into the year ahead. And uh, I'm suspecting that you're like most people, you either love the new year or it's a big yawn. Like, okay, what's the big deal? It's another day, another year uh, coming. You don't get all excited about it. You go to bed early, uh, no parties. But there are some of you that take this really seriously. And I would put myself in that camp where I absolutely love the new year. I love the idea that there's all these days ahead, like empty pages of a book, uh, getting ready to be written, and I get to write this story. So I'm one of those foolish guys that does New Year's resolutions and sets goals every year. But I would actually say over the years, it served me pretty well. I haven't accomplished all of them, but I like the challenge and the excitement of kind of reinventing myself. And so uh, today, I want to talk to you just a little bit about a project for the new year that every one of you, every one of us is going to be engaged in. And it's really a building project. It's not Uh, adding a deck in your backyard or putting a new floor in or remodeling your kitchen. Uh, The project I'm talking about is one that every one of us is going to be involved in for all 366 days of the new year. And yes, I said that right. This is a leap year. So we have one extra day to do whatever we're going to do this year. Uh, But the project I'm talking about is building a life. Every one of us will build our life one way or the other this year. Uh, either an extreme makeover in some cases or maybe just tweaking things here and there. But we're going to be involved in a project of building our lives. And I want to share this from a story that Jesus told, and it occurs in both the Gospel of Matthew and also the Gospel of Luke. And really what he is sharing is through an illustration of building a house, of how to build a life that will have meaning, resilience, uh, live with integrity, impact, meaning, purpose, and I think also a lot of joy Uh, in peace along the way. And so we're going to dive into what it means uh, from what Jesus taught to build a life in the year that's ahead of us. But before I jump into the story that Jesus told, I want to provide a little bit of context. I want to think for just a moment about the incarnation, which is really the central teaching of Christianity. And I think we, we fail to be astonished by this truth. It's such an extraordinary thing that we're claiming to have happened, that the God who made everything. So think about the next time you look at a sunset or you stare into the sky at night and see the stars or you're looking at the mountains that are snow-capped or even just someone in your life, another human being, a beautiful person in your life, uh, a a field of grain, um, and on and on. Everything that you see, God made that. And then this very same God came to live among us, to be with us, to model for us how to live, to teach us. And I think it's easy to just take that for granted. But if you stop and think about God came, he came himself. He didn't send somebody. He didn't send a book. He didn't send just angels to give a message to us. He came himself to live among us. I think that in itself says a lot. And I think one of the things that we tend to do is we distill that story of the incarnation to two events, his birth in Bethlehem, which of course we just celebrated, but then also his death and resurrection, which is the promise of new life that he's given to us and eternal life. But in between these two things, there was a life lived by God on our planet. And for the first 30 years, it was a pretty simple life, pretty much after his, 
his birth, which was a lot of fanfare with angels and all of that, he went into obscurity and lived most of his growing up years and his early adult life in a city of Nazareth where he worked as a carpenter under the teaching of his earthly father. But then there's three years where he comes away, steps away from that, and begins to teach us and begins to do amazing things and begins to model a life for us. And I think the important thing about this is that um, all of that was about the here and now, pretty much. Life here and now, not life in the future. And I would be the first to confess, as someone who's been a follower of Jesus for a lot of years, that most of my emphasis on the story of the Incarnation has been about the claim that Jesus' coming made sure that when I die, my eternity is, is certain and secured. And that certainly is good news. But if you actually look at the three years when Jesus lived and taught on this planet, the content of that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you actually look at what he did and what he taught, I would say well over 90%, maybe 95% of all of that has to do with the here and now, our life right now. Because if you're listening, listening to me right now, you're alive, you're not dead. That's coming, and Jesus has taken care of that moment in our lives. But what about this period right now in the here and now when we're alive? And that's mostly what the Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, who wrote the, the Gospels, provided for us, teaching about how to live in the here and now. Um, we often say that Jesus is the way. In fact, John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we limit that sometimes to thinking he's the way to heaven. But he's much more than that. He's the way to live now. In fact, in the early uh, church life, the first century, the early Christians, they got a nickname. They were called people of the way. Think about that for a moment. What, what do you think was meant by that? When people said, oh, those are people of the way. Well, what they were referring to was a way of life. These are people who live in a very distinct way, a very distinct lifestyle, very distinct choices that they're making, how they engage in life, how they engage with you, how they engage with their neighbors, how they deal with life. They are people of a very distinct way that I think um, I might call just the Jesus way. So Jesus is basically revealing to us in the story we're going to look at in a moment the importance of living a certain way. It's a way of life that we live and to live as people of the way. So I'd like you to think, first of all, when you think about 2024 and all those blank pages, the story that you're going to write with your life, what would it mean to be living a life that people would look at it and say, oh, that man, that woman, that child, that person is living the Jesus way. So to drill in even a little bit deeper into context, um, I would say that magnus opus, which is a, it's a fancy Latin phrase that says this is the definitive work. It's like a, an artist who did a painting, and that's their magnus opus. It best represents their artistry and their work. A musician, an athlete, um, their performance, that's their magnus opus. Well, for Jesus, I think most would agree it would be what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So just think about this for a moment. Jesus, um, I think it's 111 verses in the Gospel of Matthew, of the 3,000 and some verses of all the Gospels, he really drills down and says, this is the way to live. And he taught this to his disciples. In fact, this is how it starts in Matthew chapter 5. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, now if I just stop there for a moment, he said, who said? Well, Jesus said. Who is Jesus? This is God incarnate. 
and he's training those who would be the ones that would bring forth his kingdom on earth. This is a training session for them. So when, he, when it says he said, God now, I think in my mind, he has the megaphone with this smaller group of disciples, and he's going to teach them for 111 verses, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to be. This is what it's going to mean for you to follow me. And in fact, this is the kind of person I'm trying to recruit to build my kingdom. A man or a woman or a child that would look like this, that would live like this, that would act like this. So at the end of this Sermon on the Mount, again, in Matthew, it's 111 verses. Um, If you go to Luke's version in Luke chapter 6, it's a much shorter version of it. So if you don't have a lot of time, you might read that one. But I would encourage you to think about looking at Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is... God's definitive statement to humanity, he came among among us for this purpose, to teach us and eventually to give up his life for us. And so this is the project for this year, to build a life. And he talks about building the house, and this is how he begins. So you will find this at the end of Matthew chapter 7, where he's taught now for many, many verses about a way of living, what it means to be a member of his kingdom and to build his kingdom. And he concludes with the word, these words. He says, therefore... So in light of everything I've been telling you now, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. So let's stop there for a moment. Which words? Well, the words he's just taught. Uh, Words about being cheek turners, enemy lovers, extra mile walkers, grace givers, generous living, forgivers. That kind of person he's described in great detail. Everyone who hears these words of mine, the ones I've just taught, and puts them into practice is like. So, again, pause for a moment. Jesus, having taught this very important body of information to his disciples, says, Now, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like this. And this is where the story comes in. This is where the parable or the illustration comes in. And it's really the, the illustration of building a house, an actual physical house. And he talks about two different kinds of builders. There's, first, there's the wise builder. That's the one who hears his words and puts them into practice. And he describes, which I'll, I'll get to in a moment, what happens when someone builds a house that way. And then he also describes the foolish builder who hears these words of Jesus and does not put them into practice. And there's two different outcomes. There's the one who hears and does, and there's one who hears and doesn't do. And there's two different outcomes. And the outcomes are this. The house that's built in that way, the one that follows the code, you know, builds down on the foundation, is a house that's going to be resilient. No matter what comes, the storms come, the challenges, the problems, the hot, the cold, the wind, all of that, that house is secure because it's been built on a foundation. The house that's built um, with illustrated by someone who hears the words and doesn't put them into practice is a house that does not build down on a good foundation. So when all that stuff comes of life, this house does not stand. In fact, Jesus said the destruction is great. So in a sense, the Sermon on the Mount is like a building code. So in an actual building, if you're going to build something, there are codes that tell you this is how you build this to make sure it's safe and secure. Uh, I had this experience a few years ago, actually quite a few years ago, when uh, we built a house in Washington Township And uh, after the house was built, I wanted to add a deck. And it was a two-level house uh, in the backyard. And so it was a pretty complex project. So I got out the papers and I did the design of it. And then I took it to the township and they gave me approval on building the deck. And now I have to do the work. 
Well, one of the things that in Michigan, at least, and I think the code is 408-30522. You can look it up if you care. You can Google that. But that particular code says that when you're building a deck in Michigan because of the frost line, you have to go down 42 inches for every post that you put in. And so that becomes, in a sense, this becomes the Bible of an actual builder of a house, part of the code. And the code says it's got to be this many inches down so that when the ground freezes, it's going to be a secure foundation. So I had 12 posts I had to build or dig uh, the holes for, and it turned out the, the soil where I was digging it was clay with a lot of rock in it. So this was a pretty hard job, and I didn't have a power digger, so I got the post hole digger, and I'm just jamming down, and I'm, I get 11 of them done, and I get my tape measure out each time, and I measure down 42 inches. I actually went 44 just to be sure, because I know the inspector is going to come out and measure before I get approval to build the deck. I get to the very last one, and I get down about a foot, and I hit something with the shovel, that just loud, clangy noise, and I look down there, I can see a rock. Well, I dig around the rock, and I dig around the rock some more, and I dig around, and this thing is like massive boulder, just massive. And I tried everything. I got on my stomach and I had a spoon. I'm digging the clay around, trying to get to the edge of it. I cannot get to the edge of it. So I decide, well, this seems pretty solid though. This rock's not going anywhere, so surely the inspector's gonna come out and reprove this. So I call him to come out, gets out there in a few days, gets his tape measure out, Starts on the one end, goes to every single hole, 43, four inches, great. Gets to the last one, he looks down, looks at me like, what are you doing here? And I said, that rock could be five feet wide. There's no way this deck's going to go anywhere. But he had his tape measure out, and he went down, and I think at that point it might have been more like 16 inches. And he said, nope, you got to get to 42. I, I considered bribing him. I considered everything. It's like, there's no way I'm getting this stone out of here easily. But he said, let me know when you've got it done. I'll come back out. And he walked away. So in a sense, this was him saying to me, everyone who hears the code of mine and actually follows it is going to build a deck that's going to be solid. And it's not going to collapse when the wind comes or you have a huge party and you got 40 people on your deck. I can guarantee you this deck is going to be okay if you follow the code. So in a sense, Jesus using the illustration of a builder is saying the same thing about my life and your life. He's saying that everyone who now hears these words that I provided for you, I came to you for this purpose, to teach you how to live, how I designed you as a human being, what life looks like, how life works best, to be that kind of man or woman. This is my vision for your life. It's my vision for the world, and I'm inviting you to be a part of it. So the Sermon on the Mount, in a sense, is the 42 inches. It's the tape measure. Not to earn God's love or to earn his favor, but to build a life that's going to be substantial that's going to stand all the things that happen to us, um, all the unexpected challenges and adventures that come our way, and allows us to come alongside Jesus as we follow him to build his kingdom. Because the kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom of peace, it's a kingdom of love, it's free of strife and enmity, it's uh, described by characteristics like kindness, humility, generosity, forgiveness, grace. It's all there in the Sermon on the Mount. And having expressed all that, again, Jesus is saying, if you want to build a solid life, hear these words of mine now and put them into practice. So this is my challenge, and I'm taking this on myself personally this year. My challenge to you, as you, as you think about 2024 with all these unlived days right now, what if the chief purpose was to say to Jesus, okay, I'm going to hear these words of yours, 
and I'm going to put them into practice. I know I won't do it perfectly, but that's my intention. Um, I'm going to look to you for help and strength, but I'm going to learn and know these words of yours, and I'm going to put them into practice. Because this is a story that comes with a promise. And the promise is that we will build a life that is strong, that is resilient, um, that's going to have meaning and, and impact, and I think really advance the kingdom of God, and, which is what God has invited us to do. So I want to give you a couple things to think about this year, a couple challenges. One, I would say, this would be the easy one. What if you were to read the Sermon on the Mount 366 days? Because to hear his words really means to know them. You can hear them once and forget them, but what if we really immersed ourselves in these words of Jesus? Um, I took this challenge on some time ago, and, and it got me to my second challenge, which I'll share in a moment, but I can't tell you what it's done for me because I feel like so many days I'm out doing life and something's happening, and suddenly I'm realizing that I'm nowhere near, near 42 inches. Uh, it, it comes for me a way to evaluate my relationship with God, my progress, how am I doing? It's, it's, an, it's like looking in the mirror and seeing what's reflected back. So I know I want to love my enemy, and then I can't even love the person that cut me off in traffic and I'm being angry. I think I have some work to do here. I want to be a peacemaker, and yet I find myself in a conversation that's escalating, and I'm adding to that escalation. I'm not being a peacemaker. I, I hear the words of Jesus more and more in my in my mind through the Sermon on the Mount and say, okay, what kind of life am I building? Am I hearing his words and putting them into practice? So the first challenge I would say was consider reading them. Um, I want to share with you someone who did this, and it changed the world, literally. He's not a Christian. His name is Gandhi. Uh, you probably know the story um, of what Gandhi did in India, where they brought about a peaceful um, revolution that brought them freedom from, uh, from the um, Great, Great Britain. And when he was interviewed one time in the process, while this was ongoing, they, they asked him, um, some newspaper, I think, from England said, uh, when will peace come? And his answer was, I think peace will come when everyone on planet Earth will read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and live it. And then he said, I read it every morning before I begin my day. So here's a man who was a Hindu who wouldn't acknowledge necessarily and certainly that Jesus was the Son of God, but he saw in this teaching something so compelling, something so attractive, some, something so um, radical that he committed himself to it. And he read it every day, and then he practiced it, and he lived it out. And, and we see a whole country change and a world change as a result of that. So I'm just thinking if Gandhi could do it, maybe we could do it. Maybe we could commit to a year of really living in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the second thing I would say is possibly um, memorize it, begin to memorize it. Uh, I, I, as I've gotten older, I f felt like I can't memorize anymore. Um, I tried to learn a foreign language a few years ago. I gave up on that in about two weeks. <laughs> Said it just isn't working. Um, but I think uh, I, be I began to read the Sermon on the Mount over and over again, and I began to um, try to commit it to memory. And I've gotten partway through Chapter 5 just in the last couple of months, and I just cannot tell you how much these words have enriched me. When I, when I was driving in this morning to the office in horrible Detroit traffic, um, not quite as bad as New York City, where I spent some time. But um, I just, I said, I'm just going to go through the Sermon on the Mount as much as I know. And I just said it out loud as I was driving. And it's funny how it just framed my day, just that little bit of this is who I want to be, Jesus. This is how I want to live my life. This is the kind of life that I want to build. And so uh, the challenge, again, for this year is let's think about 
this story that Jesus told at the end of his most famous important sermon. And um, let's think about what what it would mean this year to commit to living that story out in our lives, to, to think about, reflect on, evaluate ourselves against this building code that Jesus gave for us, you know, to get our tape measure out and see how we're doing and possibly even commit to beginning to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. As I've done this, I, you know, in talking to Jesus about it, I've I've thought, you know, you did a lot and taught a lot. In fact, John, at the end of his, um, his gospel account, said if everything Jesus said and did were to be written, there's not enough books to contain it all. So I know there's a lot there, but um, it seems, Jesus, like this is really your focal point for us. And so before I die and meet you face to face while I'm living, I want to live a life that is a life that's worth living and a life that you've designed for me. And I think the Sermon on the Mount is the way to do it. So that's my challenge in the new year. Um, You can um, tell me how you're doing along the way. I'd love to receive an email from you or a conversation in the lobby after church. But um, I think the impact that we might have in our own lives, but then collectively as a community, if we become known as, well, that church, those are people of the way. So happy new year. Let's get started. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.